Welcome to the FNO InsureTech Podcast, a place where movers and shakers from all points within the insurance ecosystem gather and discuss all things InsureTech. We talk about how technology and innovation are affecting and driving change in the industry. Here are your hosts, Lee Boyd and Rob Beller. Hey, podcast world. Welcome to another edition of another edition. How's that? No, another edition. I'm not repeating myself. I'm not repeating edition. myself. Am I repeating myself, Lee? No. No. And just because we have on more than one person from a company, are we repeating ourselves? No, because each person has a story. Each person has a story. Each person has a perspective. And often, as is the case today, they have a different job than everyone else there. Yeah. And today's guest has a fascinating job at a fascinating company. The chief strategy officer and co-founder of Snapsheet, CJ Prisbal, is with us today to, to talk about his unique journey and the future at Snapsheet. He is. He is. He is one of a few Snapsheeters who have come on the podcast. FNO InsureTech Podcast has been blessed to have many people from Snapsheet on. And today, um, everyone, get get ready. It is a get really ready. great conversation uh, with a co-founder of Snapsheet. We're going to get to hear about the origin story, about some of the pivots and the micro pivots that have happened. Um, I mean, it, it, it's a great conversation, and he's just a really cool, smart guy. And I'm going to say this, concentric circle idea, okay? If okay. you are in auto claims, mm -hmm. most interior concentric circle, you know okay. about Snapsheet. If you're in auto anywhere, you know about Snapsheet. If yeah. you're in claims yeah. any kind, you know about Snapsheet. If you're in InsureTech moving out further and further away, Big you circles. know about Snapsheet. Yeah. Uh, if you want to talk about early early to the InsureTech and now huge part of InsureTech world companies, you know Snapsheet. Yeah. And we, we got them and we cover them for you, our loyal audience. That's right. We bring you only the best. Only the best. Only the best. And that's why. Except for that one. <laughs> we you know what I'm a, talking we, about. <laughs> we, we have had a couple. In fact, uh, truth be told, we have one episode that uh, has never made the airwaves. We have That's two, true. actually. We have two yeah. Yeah. that have never made the airwaves. They yeah. were canceled by our censors yeah, and, uh, and our better judgment. Mm -hmm. And um, I'll tell you what, if you can guess who those two are, we'll send you some... Uh, uh, FNO InsureTech swag. And so without further ado, here is our fantastic interview with CJ Prisbal, Chief Strategy Officer and Co-Founder at Snapsheet. I told my wife the other day, I said, I wonder what other people read. Like I, I read books all the time, but I, I am dyslexic. I read books all the time, but whenever I read them out loud to my children, I'm constantly corrected, like, Dad, that's not right. Dad, that, that, that word's wrong. And I'm like, I wonder what other people read. Like, like whenever I read a book, is it completely wrong? And have I made a whole different story in my head than someone else You are did? dyslexic. 
it, yeah. It, I'm so I've here. been reading to my daughter. I have a five month old. I've been reading her a book called the 4% universe, which is like a physics book. And my, uh-huh. you know, and my wife came out to me the other day and she's like, maybe you should try this one. And she handed me hippos go berserk. That's a intense book that you're reading. Well, no, I, I like your method. I mean, it's like if you speak Spanish around a child yeah. in the United States, that child will grow up and know two languages. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How does that happen? It's some magic ingredient Radical. that a baby mm-hmm. has, right? And yeah. so why not read that baby physics or whatever yeah. it is? Because they'll grow up. It's like, why is it that so many children end up in the same or similar business or job as their parents? Why is that? Well, my theory is when you grow up, like how, why is a kid become a doctor when his or her dad was a doctor? And and my theory is, is that it just all makes sense to them. They grew up around it. They know it. They understand it. The parent talked about it and they get it. And so they grow up and they gravitate to that because it makes sense to them. Absolutely. They access the network and things as well. hundred percent. Yeah. I will say I have three children, a 13-year-old, 12-year-old, and then a, a nine-year-old. And we read the most to the oldest, the second most to my middle, and hardly at all to my third. And they have all evened out, and they're all super bright in school now. But I really could tell you that my oldest one, I really think all that reading helped. His vocab was so much stronger. He spoke a lot. But like I said, they've all evened out now. But early stages, he was... You know, I know all the studies say that you have to read a certain number of minutes a day and, and their brains will get that much better. And it's totally true. It's totally true. So good for you. Keep reading that physics book. Maybe a little, maybe a little hippo too. Is that baby number one? It is baby number one. Yes. Yeah. I don't think you read the physics books to baby number two. Well, yeah, we'll you see. Sure? We'll be chasing around baby number yeah, one. Yeah, you sure don't read it. To, <laughs> in fact, in fact, Alexa help us read a little to baby three. To baby two, you might want to read the alphabetical list of body shops in America book. <laughs> Oddly, I, I have that pinned to my refrigerator. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> good. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, we are going to start our interview with CJ Prisbel, CJ co-founder, chief right. strategy officer at Snapsheet, another Snapsheet podcast for FNO and SureTech. What do you think about that, Lee? I'm excited. Welcome, CJ. Welcome. Uh, thank you. Thank you for having me. Excited it, to be here. Yeah, I, I was telling somebody today that that we have somebody on from Snapsheet. I think it's their 18th time to be on the podcast. Mm-hmm. But Alicia informed us, I think it's the fifth. Yeah, it's the fifth. I'm oh, saying six. Rob says six, so what do I know? Yeah, I plead the fifth here. <laughs> Boom. Uh, that was... <laughs> He said the fifth. Welcome, CJ. Welcome. Welcome. We we save the best for last, right? Let's hope. No question. No question. I won't tell which. So, yeah, I won't tell you about who from Snapsheet's on in two weeks, but. um, No, no, but uh, we were at InsureTech Connect and uh, I went into CJ was in his booth and they had great swag. You guys had great swag. They had the uh, lunch Lunch box. Yeah. Lunch uh, I still have the pencil. Which I Excellent. want you to know, my three-year-old grandson takes to preschool with him. Excellent. Yeah. That's Very nice. Good. He loves it. Very good. Yeah. So have him learn to code when he's older, and then that'll be free admission to work at Snapsheet. There you go. <laughs> In fact, you'll give him lunch every day. No pay, 
we can like commit to so much yeah Excellent. so i'm glad you enjoyed that the giveaway there was a hydro flask canteen inside of it that was super cool that he loves yeah my daughter took soup in that and she said it kept it warm all day long so good job on the swag is all right. i have to say thank, thank you, you. So i think that pretty much does it here for us today yeah. i think we've <laughs> talked about everything else yeah i mean we were talking about cj's Five-month-old, chief claims officers. I can't think of anything else, but we'll try. So, CJ, being the last but not least mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, member of the Snapsheet family, let's start by saying, I think your guys' origin story is so interesting. We had on Brad, but Brad was on a long time ago. And any, mm-hmm. I mean, we're, we're at like 150-some, 160 episodes, right? Wow. So not everybody goes back and finds the Brad Weisberg episode. So let's talk about the Snapsheet origin story and and share with us, would you? Sure, absolutely. So actually, Brad started Body Shop Bids originally um, after getting into a car accident and trying to go to multiple body shops and uh, had kind of used some of his saved up money to just have an app built to take photos. So I actually met Brad right after I had graduated business school at Booth. The professors of my last class were the guys who started Groupon, Brad Kubel and Eric Laskowski. And so those were his investors. So they had given him $250,000 to kind of start the company. They had given him that money in July of 2011. To start body shop bids? To start body shop bids, yeah. And so I, I joined the company in um, at the end of August in 2011. So I've been kicking a little bit. And so I came in as VP of strategy, actually. So then, you know, I had just done a restaurant app startup that had failed where you try to put, we try to put multiple restaurants into one single app. And so I, I drew out on a piece of paper, this picture of a mobile app. And I said, like, start my claim, whatever. And I took it to Alex. You've had Alex on the the, the podcast, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. I took it to Alex. I said, Alex, what do you think of this idea? And he just looked at me and he said, you know, I'm body shop bids for life. I think that's a terrible idea. And I said, okay. So I just kind of crumpled it up and threw it away. And so then, um, you know, we were running out of money and we we were ran out of money. So we, you know, I had some people that I had met through the University of Chicago uh, doing the new venture challenge that we convinced to give us a million bucks in in December of 2011. So that kind of kicked off us being able to be a real, you know, company. So from then we tried building this consumer brand of body shop bids and it just really wasn't working because so then I kind of put my MBA hat on and did a bunch of market analysis and realized that 90% of repair facilities revenue comes from insurance carriers. Right. And Brad still wasn't really like buying it. So I actually hired um, the University of Chicago MBA students to come do a full analysis uh, led by a woman named Linda Darrow, who now runs entrepreneurship at Northwestern. And, uh, you know, I had her come in and have her students do an analysis. And the outcome was you should really pivot into insurance and change the model. And so Brad was finally like, at left that meeting. He's like, great idea. We should pivot. You know, let's go into a new model. I'm like, yeah, like, wow, what a great idea. Yeah. So we did that. And then we started as body shop bids in the insurance space. And then very quickly, we went to one of the largest insurance carriers with like, a, we did not have technology at that time that worked. So we, we mocked up a mobile app just in like screenshots and like I would click the button and pretend like I was like going to the next screen and I would just swipe. Yeah. And the reason we got this meeting too, is because if you know, if you're familiar with the gentleman by the name of Tim O'Day, he's the president of, and uh, and I think he's the CEO now of Boyd group, which is Gerber uh, body shops. He just liked what we were doing and he lived in Chicago and he offered to take us out to California. If we bought him a 
dinner at Ruth's Chris. So we <laughs> bought him a dinner at Ruth's Chris. He And then he took us to our first insurance carrier and vouched for us and said, these people know what they're doing. But we had to change our model. We could no longer get body shops to bid. We had to hire estimators to do this. And then they everyone said, you have to change your name. It's terrible. So we kind of locked everybody in the company in a conference room with a case of Miller Lite and said, we're changing the name. And, you know, a few hours later, we had Snapsheet was born. And then I became the co-founder of Snapsheet because it was kind of like my idea to pivot all this into this and turn this into this new business. And so that's when I, I uh, you know, Brad, Brad and I kind of spun up the Snapsheet uh, brand. Look, there's a whole lot of other, I don't want to like just keep talking or you can ask questions. No, it's good. I, I'm well, loving it. There's a whole lot of stuff that happens then in a company that we maybe don't talk as much about, but like is really important because there's a lot more insure tech founders out there now, right? Right. Totally. So facing a lot of the perils that we face that they, you know, they don't realize that, you know, you have a, a good product and a good market, but like there's other stuff. So like at one point, you know, a million dollars seems like you've raised enough money to conquer the world, but you run out of it really quickly. So we kept doing what was called bridge rounds, right? So we would just raise piecemeal money. And eventually our board got sick of giving us bridge rounds. So they tried to fire us. <laughs> and uh, so uh, we sat down, I'll never forget, we sat down with Brad Keywell in a conference. We were like, dude, we don't want to get fired. We love this company. He's like, look, he just went up to the whiteboard. He's like, you have a B board, you need an A board, you have B funding, you need an A funding, you have a B product, you need an A product. He's like, you know, come back to me when you have this stuff figured out. So we set off to do that. And then, you know, what we did is we brought on a gentleman who was my professor at Booth, who was the former CEO of CNA Insurance, Dennis Chikazian. Yeah, sure. sure. I know. We brought him onto the board and we said, could you help us fire our board? Because <laughs> we <laughs> want to keep working here. So he's like, you know, always up for a challenge. He's like, absolutely. So, you know, there was a lot of stuff going on in the background, but he helped us kind of do that. We restructured the board and we ended up raising a, a larger round from USAA Insurance, which kind of saved the, the company from, you know, bridge rounds, gave us a real chunk of capital to go after the business, gave us a customer, like a flagship customer to do it, um, and then really put us on a, a, you know, a straightforward trajectory. And so, you know, for a while, then that kind of like helped propel us into, into kind of like stamping us as a, a, a real entity. So, you know, that's just one of those stories of like the things that happen in a startup that you don't really think about that could kill the company, but didn't. Yeah. That's amazing. Um, so let, let's talk about boards. We don't talk much mm -hmm. about boards, even though I think that they're a, probably a very present reality to many of the founders we talk to. And I would say of all of our episodes, most are with uh, CEOs and founders mm -hmm. uh, of InsureTechs like yourself. Um, so w talk about the board, talk about the difference between the early board that you had and the yeah. board you have today. And why is a board important and why is a board a challenge? Yeah, a board is super critical, especially in the early phases. I mean, at any phase, right? But in the early phases, usually it's going to be some of your angel investors. And we always try to keep some independent folks um, on the board as well. And uh, But usually it's going to be your your early stage investors and you need to make sure they're aligned with the vision and they're, you know, cause in an early stage, like we didn't have seed stages back then, but they do now there's pre-seed, seed, A, um, you know, we just kind of went straight into an A, but um, you know, the expectations of the board needs to be different at a seed round versus like, you know, an E round, right? So at a yeah. seed round, it's supporting the entrepreneurs, trusting that you don't have it all figured out, but you're trying to get there and helping you get access to new capital and making introductions and things, right? So that's very important. But, you know, as we found, like sometimes that early board, um, you know, it, it, when you get to the next round of challenges, like when we pivoted away from a consumer model into an insurance model, 
we had really long sales cycles then. The metrics didn't make sense. You didn't just have conversions, right? You had to go do big business development. And so we needed a board that kind of understood that. And that's when we brought in Dennis and kind of restructured the board with some, some you know, the next round of investors that then said, okay, we want to take you from point A to point B. And so, you know, then the board, the board is really important too, because they vote on critical components, like whether you can raise debt, whether you can raise equity compensation components. So you've got to make sure that that, that is aligned and that, but they're not just pushovers. They like challenge you on the right stuff, right? Later stage board, public board, certain things, a lot more of like risk mitigation, compliance, making sure that you're, you know, meeting, you know, longer term objectives, much more strategic thought partner partners. Earlier stages, more like people kind of in the trenches with you, helping you solve it. Later stage, much more just guiding the ship and mm-hmm. trusting the management to make the day-to-day decisions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we interviewed somebody the other day who said that they went back to school to learn how to be a board member. And I thought that was interesting. I didn't really realize that, you know, the art that there is uh, in being a board member. Dennis always says, because he teaches corporate governance at Booth, that's how I, okay. I met him, um, you know, noses in, fingers out for a board which is very hard to do, right? You want to kind of like understand what's happening, but you like you have this inherent urge as a leader and someone who makes it to a board to like want to get in and tinker. And you have to kind of hold yourself back from that and just like offer advice and help, but not really try to get in and, and be the one solving the problems, mm-hmm. which takes, it takes, and there's a lot of, especially if you're on a public board, there's a lot to learn. There's a lot of compliance and regulatory stuff. If you're a VC investor and you're investing in multiple companies, there's duty of loyalty and duty of care. So there's a lot, right. there's a lot to learn. Absolutely. And today, what's your structure? Today, you're VC-backed company, correct? Yeah, we have VC and we have, um, you know, Brad still chairs the board. We have VCs. We have some uh, independents on the board as well. Um, Dennis and Howard, Howard Tolman, um, who started CCC, mm-hmm. uh, is on the board still as well. So wow. but it, it gets kind of large as you, you know, you add on different rounds and things, right? So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah. And can you tell us where it's going ultimately? Snapsheet is going to continue to grow and expand. I mean, it's not very often that you get to define a market segment, right? So I teach entrepreneurship at the University of Chicago. I'm an adjunct professor there teaching a class called Building Adventure. And I tell the students all the time, like, defining a market segment is the holy grail of a startup. So when Snapsheet started in 2011, or like when when Body Shop Bids did and became Snapsheet in 2013, the percent market share of virtual inspections was zero. Right. Mm-hmm. It yeah. just didn't exist. And people didn't even believe you could do it. Now it's 2021 and it's about 25% market share. Right. So we've got like, I, my anticipation is it'll more than double over the next five years now, because we're kind of hitting that growth curve. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, for the foreseeable future and, 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 and you know, uh, we're still consider ourselves more of like a later stage startup, you know, your time horizon's not, you know, forever. It's multiple years, but not like 20 years. And in the next three to four years, we're going to be continuing to grow the market segment that we defined, right? Talk about what you guys do primarily, because really you have your hands in a few different pots now that I find very interesting why they're all under one roof. Yeah, we're we're all about speed and automation of claims through the use of technology, right? And so there's two different like main components in the claims ecosystem. There's kind of modules and providers of things, right? So you would think of that as like your estimatics platforms, your inspection companies and certain things like rental car companies, those are modules. 
modules and, and providers. And then you've got your platforms, right? Which would be like your claim systems, your underwriting systems and those things, right? So we're fortunate that we're both, we're both a module and a platform in this. So we have an automated inspection module, which does auto inspections, extremely quick, extremely accurate leveraging technology. And then we've also built a claim platform, right? Which is the entire claim system. And they make sense because the reason we did it is earlier on, like probably 2017 or so, we stalled out in growth because our carriers could not gain as much adoption as we thought they should have. Mm -hmm. So they allowed us to ride along with them virtually, like sit inside of their contact centers and their estimate, their uh, adjusters and watch them process claims. And what we found is that they were doing a whole lot of other manual work around the claim workflow that was not just like requesting an inspection. They were just using spreadsheets for calculations. They were trying to use 10 different systems for email, SMS. They didn't have SMS, right? And then they had their claim system. And so we said, look, if you really want to drive adoption, we need to automate the whole thing. So that's why we started developing the entire claim platform as a SaaS model, because we realized that these were still all on-premise licensed software models, kind of the legacy model. And we thought we could do it differently to drive adoption. So our whole goal in all of this is driving adoption of virtual automated, you know, digital claims processes. And so you have the estimators, you have the actual estimating side, people adjusting claims and and helping you with the virtual side. And then you have a whole software side. Is that right? You have the actual software? I mean, they, they blend together. It goes hand in hand. But yes, there's there's the components of like providing the inspection virtually. So it's all still done through technology. But like you, there are some regulatory compliance needs where you have to yeah. have a licensed inspector just who's right. actually able to review the documentation on our modular component. And then on the, the entire platform, yes, absolutely. So that is like a software platform that anybody can like pick up and purchase. So is it possible to have just the software program and not and not use the uh, adjusting side? Absolutely. I mean, today we power ClearCover, Kin, Branch, Openly, Bamboo. So we pro- we power a lot of property carriers as well. So our our, our claim system is auto and property, personal and commercial. Uh, so it's truly, and it's, it does financials, reserving, payments, FNOL, vendor management, everything. So we, we were talking earlier before the podcast started, and we talked about uh, being international. Mm-hmm. Is, this, is this a software you're talking about that you actually started over in, in Ireland? Talk to us about that. Yeah, it's launched internationally as well. So it's in Ireland and in Serbia and in the UK as well. Three claims hotspots. Exactly. But what he was saying is that you actually went over there and started it in Ireland and then brought it back to the US. Isn't that right? Yeah. So we started it with, um, you know, we actually in 2015, we got introduced to the CEO of Generale Insurance, Mario Greco. And we went out to Milan to check out, uh, and then we flew all around a bunch of countries to check out their claim operations to see if we could help. But Which sounds really walked, cool, by the way. Yeah, really cool. It, it was it was awesome. But while we were sitting in his office, and I kid you not, Alex, you know Alex, texted uh-huh. me, and he said, "Hey, did you see this?" And it was, you know, Mario steps down as CEO of Generale and takes accepts job as CEO of Zurich Insurance. So we're in Mario's office in Milan when we get the notification that he's leaving this organization. We're like, is this really going to happen? He's like, oh, yeah, don't worry about it. It's fine. <laughs> so, um, you know, we ended, we ended up, of course, waiting a year and then like re-engaging with him in, in Zurich and then put a partnership together with Zurich to go international, scope out all their different claim organizations in different like 10 different countries and build a platform that could handle every language, every country in one cloud-based platform. And we, we accomplished that. But then COVID happened. 
And it was very hard to kind of push that out. So we decided during that time to focus our investments in the US. And it just turns out that all these insure techs were coming up really hot and a lot of investment, and they had no claim system infrastructure. So we were able to kind of micro pivot into that and gain a ton of logos and a ton of traction and now even go really upstream and hit larger tier carriers with it. Uh, and we're going back international. We still have more growth plans internationally. Uh, we, you know, maybe that was one of the, the hidden positive sides of COVID is that we focused a little bit on the U.S. market and found a really big opportunity as well. Help me to understand, because I'm I'm one of the claims guys on this podcast and mm-hmm. not one of the smart guys. In fact, I'm known as the cute one, and I think you can <laughs> see why he's known as the smart one. So um, anyways, like who do you compete with in the claim platform space? The claim platform's a little bit unique, right? Because there's like what we provide a claim platform, which you would think of traditionally, like if you just think of a big box name, you would think of a guide wire or a yeah. or something. Yeah, right? like claim so, center or whatever yeah, it's called. They don't center. they don't typically play down this like they don't typically play in like the insure tech space. All right, because this is truly like the need for a cloud-based you know, SaaS model that you can turn on, you know, we're highly configurable, like we're no code configuration, you can automate everything an adjuster does, but we're not customizable, right? So when you do a really big claim implementation, you hire a system integrator, they do a huge data migration, you customize the heck out of everything. We don't play in that world. And they have lots of work in that world. So we play in this other area that's kind of the new and up and coming area, Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. is not really a market again, that was really defined or serviced, which is why we were able to go get it. Right. That makes sense. So the actual software side, is it just claims or does it hold all of the policy information with with sales? I I guess what MGAs use it or kind of hitting that, right? So it is only it is only claims focused, but we okay. we definitely integrate with policy systems. So at ITC, we announced the you know off the shelf integration with Socotra, where if you have Socotra, you literally click a button and select which fields you want to be sent to Snapsheet, and it gets done immediately. And our webhooks handle that. But so we we will integrate with policy. We have two layers of policy integration too. One is we have like a real time kind of Google type search. So an adjuster can be searching anything they want and it'll be finding the right policy of the right insured. And then once we find that, we do uh, like a more detailed API call, which we pull and take a snapshot of all the policy information in the claim system so you can automate. So you know deductibles, you know limits, you know any exclusions, you know you know the policy holders and, and the vehicles on the policy or the homes or perils or whatever that are available. Um, so we pull all that in, take a snapshot based on the date of loss, and then we run automation on the claim based off of that. But we're not a policy system per se. So your customers are using it for both property and auto, right? Correct. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because it's agnostic. It's about claims, wherever they were originating from. Yeah. I mean, it's surprising. Auto and property claims have very different needs. Totally. Because right? auto is super high frequency. So the press we did with ClearCover, with their clear claim, right, was we fully automated an auto claim. And it took seven minutes to process the claim. And that seven minutes was that, you know, licensed appraiser just double checking the estimate, right? They put a they put a model in that does, you know, determines, in, you know, indemnification that determines the uh, coverage. And then we automated the rest of it. That's a lot harder to do on the property side if you need an inspection, because now you have to manage a vendor, go get an inspection, have a contractor quote. A vehicle is just a box and it's like the same thing over and over again. 
Now, if you get an injury involved or you hit a light pole or something, it's different, right? Uh, but a, a, a straight through claim is, is is what it is. And then like on the property side, there's just different challenges you face. Like you're, you might be managing four contractors doing a bunch of different work and they might find out they need, you know, remediation in the middle of something when they thought it was something easy. And so, you know, our platform is flexible to handle those types of automated workflows mm-hmm. that are seemingly totally different, but we've distilled it down to the same sort of framework. So you're moving, migrating somewhat from what you have guys maybe became known for, which was the, you, you processed auto claims. Like I said, we still have a very large business there and we are, yes. that's, that's the modular component that is, you know, the, the inspection. And that is very large. Like I said, that's only 25% market share today out there. It's mm-hmm. going to be growing to 50, 60, 70%. Huge. Oh, forget so get it. We are a hundred percent. Our our tech. It's the same technology. The technology feeds into it. You know, we right. use the technology that we we sell. So you know, we have the, the ability to um, you know kind of build on on ourselves. So we're we we purely see ourselves as like the largest, like most able to scale, you know, organization for handling that that revolution. That's we're just in the on the cusp of right. So were you sitting around one day having a beer, and you said? You know what would be really interesting is if we took our claim system and sold it as a, as a software as a service. What was that moment? So actually, this is kind of interesting. So in the melee of when we were, you know, the board was trying to fire us back in 2012, uh, you know, they're like, you guys don't even have a business plan. So I stayed up all weekend and I wrote a 50 page business plan, which we still pretty much stick to today. Uh, but we, we, we just, we didn't know what we were saying. We just said, look, but, and then we're going to turn it into software. <laughs> we're like, that'll help valuation. That's just what you say. Right. And we called it the Bradley claim system, named it after Brad. And, and it was also the BCS because he's a huge Louisville fan. And they were in the BCS at the time, not really okay. relevant anymore. Um, but we didn't, we just kind of shelved it because it wasn't anything to do with it. Then what happened is when we met with, uh, Mario in, uh, you know, in Milan and then started working with Zurich. They said, look, you have all the right fundamentals, but it needs to be a claim system. So we had all the automation, the communications, you know, the ability to dispatch and capture stuff remotely from customers. But when you actually build a claim system, now you have to have reserving. You have to have authority limits, user administration, first notice of loss, Medicare reporting, like ISO, Lexus, all these things, right? So it was really like once Zurich was really like, we would like to go do this really deeply in in Ireland that we really dove in and said, okay, let's take all of our core components and wrap what really is a claim system around. And, And it hearkened us back to this was our vision all along. Now we can go execute on that vision that we had oh so long ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I think that we've, we've asked one of the 34 different people from Snapsheet that we've had on the podcast. 70, 72. 72 people. It was 70. We're over 70 now? Give or take. Um, is, are you guys an insurance company or an insurance-oriented company or are you a technology company? But what I'm hearing is really – you guys have been and always were a technology company that serves the insurance industry. 
Absolutely. We like to solve the problems of, you know, automation and remote work, right? I mean, it's surprising, but, you know, like the U.S. is like, I think probably now even more, but like 70 or 80% service-based economy. Like technology replacing what humans are doing is really complicated, right? Because you don't realize if you're talking to somebody face-to-face, just all the interactions and things that happen from facial cues down to just the stuff that you, you do and how you can solve problems. So it's a fascinating problem to recreate that with just technology, and then automate it so that the person on the other end feels like they're having like an in-person experience and only interacting with technology. So we, you know, that requires you to have really good customer technology, really good, you know, bones of how to do it. And then like a great flexible system on the back end that can adapt to learning. Right. And so that's really what we've built. And we just, you know, we apply it in different problems that are the larger problems that we see out there in insurance. I mean, automating things has never been more important than than it is now, right? With the workforce out there, so many so many companies are having such a hard time finding quality candidates who want to come to work, um, right? Everybody is hiring. Uh, all all companies, everybody I know is looking for somebody, and so automation has to happen. And and you know, even talking on that, right? Let, let's talk a little bit about that. How is hiring people these days, right? We've seen a, a, a large amount of auto use. I imagine auto claims are quite high right now. How how is it hiring people in this in this economy these days? Um, you know, hiring is tight, kind of across the board, right? Um, but we still we've got a, a fairly good brand, fairly good reputation, and we're we're extremely efficient, right? So for us to scale up. To handle like the certain levels that traditional folks might need really a lot of infrastructure, we are very focused. And so like we don't have a dispatch team at all. Like we've automated our platform exactly every every like claim that comes in, like or request, like every attribute is is tracked and then automatically distributed to the entire workforce and rebalanced, right? So we we've been able to kind of trim kind of any excess. And so we can be very focused in our in our hiring efforts. And so we're able to we've we've been able to bring on on talent. Now, as you mentioned, the growth is happening very fast out there. So I think everybody's like a, a little taxed. But for us that just means Instead of an you know uh, you know an automated inspection estimate coming out in three hours, maybe it comes out in five hours, right? You know, and so we're we're feeling pretty pretty good about about that. And and actually, an interesting thing on the technology side is since the world has opened up and we can hire people anywhere, we used to just hire in Chicago. We've actually been able to expand our pie of who we can hire on technology a little a little bit better as well. But look, yeah. I mean we all face the challenges that everybody's facing right now, right? It's, it's right. impossible to get away from it. We're not, I'm, we're not hiring, you know, 100% as perfect as we'd love to, but we're, we're all also not like completely doing, you know, doing a bad job at all. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you, you hit on something a minute ago that was interesting when you talked about not having a dispatch team, right? I think in my head, I see y'all sitting around a room and say, you know what? We have this problem. We have this dispatch. It's taking manpower. We need to fix it. Let's go fix it. And I just kind of see that as being this this the way that that Snapsheet runs. Like y'all are looking around, like what else can we fix today? Who spearheads all these new improvements? Is that is that you? Well, that one specifically was, but that was back. We built that pla- that part of the platform way back in the day. It was a big spreadsheet and it wasn't working. And so we had to redesign it. But no, we have a phenomenal CTO, uh, Dan, who I, I think has been on here as well, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, and so he's got a product organization, but we've also built into the DNA of the key leaders of the team, the feedback to the product, to the, to the technology team. 
So we have a team of true engineers that solve the problem. So we don't just have a bunch of coders where like a product person just tells them exactly what to do with like a user story. We actually allow our operations team to feedback into the engineering organization and allow the engineers to solve the problem and then work back. And we've built that into our DNA from day one, and it is very successful. Now, it's a different world when you're dealing with an external product like the SaaS platform. Then we have a lot more product focus, whatever. But like that's how we solve these problems because we say, look, why is there a spreadsheet here? Engineers solve the problem. Right. I, I love that. And I'm sure you appreciate more than most how what a super important attribute that is that you guys were performing a a business that required your software (laughs) so that your that your software your business was running on that software and so that feedback loop was just i mean it's like for those of us who use estimating platforms regularly Mm -hmm. in the property world Mm -hmm. there's things all the time where we say i wish it did this or i wish it could do that and you have to go through the whole customer service infrastructure right to get those things talked about and worked on and maybe and then maybe at the end of the day it's not even a priority so it doesn't happen but to to have that in house as well wow that's potent super yeah, powerful thank, thank you that's how we were able to kind of you know end up where we where we were because we you know we put the focus on that absolutely we were we were lucky that we were able to do that as well we, so we've got a good problem you're the chief strategy officer mm-hmm. other than uh, you know playing frisbee and stuff what, what, <laughs> you've obviously never seen me play frisbee before it's not 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 okay Okay. foosball foosball i don't know whatever golf you probably have a you probably have a virtual reality headset you spend most of your day in that i don't know i wish i did that'd be cool i know um what do you do what's your what's your job So, I mean, I'm responsible for our strategic direction, right? So, I mean, that is, we're a large organization now. And a lot of the stuff we're talking about are things that were strategic priorities, you know, three or four years ago that are coming to fruition now. Um, And so I'm more focused on like what's coming up like 12, 18, 24 months down the pipeline. How do we leverage all this technology that we have? We have some pretty cool um, AI modules that we're building internally. Um, And so... You know, I really help take like kind of like uh, I understand the solution from the very beginning to the very end because I've been involved in building it up from the start. So anytime we need to go interject like some AI module into the workflow, it's kind of like doing surgery, right? Because you're handling things. So I, I guess I do a little bit of the the surgery there. And then we also have a lot of big high level corporate strategic stuff when you're a large you know corporation as far as like, you know, what goes on with your capital raising and all of that stuff as well. So, you know, I talk to a lot of the investors and the investment groups and try to make sure that our whole entire story fits together in the envelope of like what makes a successful company. When you look for information to think about, to motivate you, to motivate your thought for 24 months down the road, where do you go to find that? Do you go talk to customers? Do you read? How how do you do your homework? Look, there's no substitute for having direct interactions with the market, right? So we are a very big culture on having regular communication and deep relationships with lots of folks inside of the market, right? So, I mean, I spend a lot of time 
lately talking to a lot of the insurtechs and the VCs and the PE and the reinsurers funding those folks about where they see things going, right? Because a lot of the, the VCs will have a very good thesis on what they're seeing next. And they see so many deals come through that you can kind of get a kernel for where the problems are. Because now the industry has become so large, the insure tech, that people are leaving traditional carriers, they're leaving startups, and they're starting companies to solve the little problems that they found. So we're listening to a lot of that and using that to drive a direction. But we look at all the trade magazines and the industry analyst reports and all of those things as well. But I really love to get my my hands dirty uh, in, the, in the business. And heck, I mean, nothing beats a phone call from Andy Cohen, right? I mean, mm-hmm. fortunately, he's on our team. But like, if you just need to know anything that ever happened anywhere ever, he's on speed dial, right? So I have a alumni of this podcast, I might add. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, yes, but we is. wanted to have him on before you because we wanted you to be the, you know, the yeah. grand finale. Here we go. Bookends, right? Bookend. Weren't they bookends? Uh, yeah. No, Alex was first. Oh, well, so much for that. Yeah. 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 But, you know, Alex is an extremely critical component mm-hmm. of the business. Hey, first employee, right? First employee. He was there before me, you know, so. that, that That's awesome. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. So you were saying that, you know, we're at 25% take up on virtual, mm-hmm. that's going to God knows how high. Talk about the future. Talk about when does that number go way up? What's coming? What kind of crazy world do you see when you lay in bed and dream at night? Yeah, I mean, look, I think you know what you'll probably see, and this will just be like my asterisks of opinion, right? Mm-hmm. Of course, yeah. um, is does not represent the management. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, uh, but fortunately, we're not public, so I don't have to be so strict on this. But uh, no, I mean, look, I think it's very well known that like safety features are becoming, you know, more prevalent, right? And and so like frequency in theory would should decrease. But right. we're also seeing that kind of offset with like other means of transportation and like shipping and logistics and stuff, you know, heating up and stuff, right? So claims are still happening for a while, right? Re- regardless of the safety features. Severity is increasing because of the safety features though, right? right? right, right. And complexity is increasing because of the virtual channel and the nature in and of itself, right? Humans are still humans. Not every human just follows a pattern of like, I got into an accident, I call my insurance carrier, I download the app, I take the photos, I smile and I d- direct deposit, right? They are. They take it to a shop. It's a total loss. It's this. It's that. So we've spent a lot the last ten years, you know, building the infrastructure to handle all of the weird edge cases to actually make it virtual, right? So what's going to happen now is the AI modules that enhance the virtual are going to become more prevalent. They're going to get better. They're going to get more surrounded with technology like ours that embraces and handles the whole workflow end to end on the claim solution, right? So from the module component to the whole platform component, those are going to converge, and you're going to start to truly have the automation where the automation is relevant, and then the optimization where the optimization is necessary, right? Mm -hmm. And so I think you're going to, it's going to take some time for all that to happen because the very large carriers still have an infrastructure problem on their their claim side of the house. So we've got to kind of massage all of that through, but you're going to see that. You're going to see a lot of like the vehicle and the sensors and the telematics data driving a lot of claim decisioning as well. You know, a lot of the autonomous vehicles. I just did a uh, an interview with NVIDIA, the the microchip maker who has yeah. like a, 
you know, an autonomous vehicle simulation engine where you can load in the brains of the vehicle and simulate real world environment to help with your underwriting and stuff. Right. So the the battle of the OEMs and the insurance carriers and who owns that is going to be fascinating. The center data is going to be fascinating. But at the end of the day in the world that we kind of live in is we feel like the whole entire process automation is going to be really critical. And so we're trying to make sure that we're there to be able to, you know, surround the whole entire process. Can a car report its own claim? So a car could report an accident and a car could report the damage, but like a claim is more than just damage on a vehicle, right? Mm -hmm. A claim is what policy did you have in place? Was somebody injured in it? Are you covered? You know, so, uh, uh, and did you want to file the claim? Right. Right. So I think a lot of the telematics providers are facing this right now as well. So we built a stage into our claim platform that's like, you know, a a, a notification, but not a claim yet in case there's mm-hmm. telematics driven claims. Cause like, it's not like you have to file a claim when you get into a car accident. Right. Right. Yeah. And just that's a quick, just a quick question on, um, autonomous vehicles and the future of driving, which I know that's like, yeah, let's have a three-hour podcast. I just want you to <laughs> 30 seconds on it, would you? <laughs> um, but you guys have to be thinking about autonomous vehicles. I mean, it's a long, that's, you know, out there. I mean, I think all of us can agree that in three years, we're not all going to be sitting uh-huh. reading our newspaper in the car when we drive, but it's coming. And like you said, that just the, the tech inside of a car and the smartness of a car is increasing every model year. What impact does something like that have on Snapsheet and how does Snapsheet play in the autonomous vehicle world? Yeah, I think um, kind of what, to what I was just saying. I mean, like the the autonomy of the vehicle, you know, they will still have accidents and things, right? They'll just be different types, different severities, different. Maybe a different person underwriting the risk. It might be a product risk. It might be a liability. Who knows, right? But um, there's still going to need to be a process if something's getting repaired where you have to kind of handle the whole claim, you know, and then people might still get injured in certain things, right? You might still hit a lamp post and need someone to replace that post, Mm -hmm. you know, and you might need a claim system for that. So um, I do like, so we're keeping an eye on it. Like, I think it'll help because this will be more of like sensor and API driven information, which optimizes things a lot, right? If you don't have to take a human centered FNOL and you can push a ton of the data, our systems APIs are waiting for this information, right? Mm-hmm. So we can capture more information and be able to use it to automate even more. It's going to be extremely powerful. So we're excited for that day. But I do, to your point, I think that like it having a massive impact in the market is pretty far off. But mm-hmm. we are seeing these features, right? Like driver assist, lane assist, and these things having an impact on safety, right? Like with some of these 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 damages. So I, I think the the implicate like the impact of some of the autonomous theories and, and levels of autonomy helping reduce claim frequency and severity would hopefully, you know, be a more short-term goal. Let, two, two quick last questions. Sure. Give us 20 seconds on being a professor at Booth. So I teach a class called Building a New Venture, help people go from idea all the way through pitching to a VC and everything in between. And it's absolutely fascinating and probably one of the most rewarding things that you can do to help, you know, young entrepreneurs, uh, you know, get a whole host of uh, information and tools in their tool belt to be able mm-hmm. to, uh, you know, build a business from scratch. And I, I put them through the ringer. I have them build prototypes. I have them build go-to-market models. I have them call customers, build financial models, uh, build a pitch deck. I bring in venture capital firms to actually critique them in the last class. It's a wonderfully fun class. And if you're ever around Chicago, you're more than welcome to come sit in on it. Yes, please. That would be yeah. awesome. 
And last question, what car do you drive? I drive a Subaru Ascent. Okay. All right. Yeah, okay. It's I'm safe. It's wondering. safe for the baby. Okay. Yeah. That's right. That's a dad car. That's yeah, a dad car. I can race. You can play dad. physics physics on on tape for. I was, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I don't know. Deck, if it had a tape yeah. deck and she if she was going to know what a tape yeah. was, I think that's right. I was hoping for like a Model X or something, but uh, okay, Subaru's okay. I All like right. Subarus. Okay, I also live in the city, and you know, it's like it's a big enough car, but it's small enough in the city. And if it gets banged up, it's probably not the end of the world, right? Yeah. My wife said she just wanted to be able to run over curbs and not worry about it. She wanted an Armada, <laughs> and I said I don't think an Armada even fits in our garage here. So. <laughs> well, listen, we love having you. We love the way yes. that Snapsheet has been so good to us, including yourself. And um, we just want to know when we come to Chicago, can we do a, uh, can we do a mobile podcast and get all you guys in one room and like have some Ooh, fun? Oh, that'd for, be cool. That'd Absolutely. Be cool. Absolutely. Anytime. You're more than welcome. Okay, deal. Okay. Excellent. Thank Thanks, Thanks so much for being on, CJ. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much. You know, it's kind of cool being in the position that we're in that we get to know a bunch of people, including a bunch of people at one company like Snapsheet and CJ. Yeah. You know, every time we do this podcast, you know, it, it's always one of those, you got to work it up in your head. Okay. I, I got a podcast. We're going to do this thing. But after you're done with the podcast, you realize that you really got to visit with people who you never would have talked mm-hmm. to, right? Mine and my path and CJ's path might've never crossed, but we just spent 40 minutes together and I know all about them now. And we get to learn some really neat things about people. I think that's my favorite thing about this podcast. My favorite thing about this podcast is the cool swag we get. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we do we do get some nice swag. My favorite thing about this podcast is all the money we get. Well, I don't <laughs> I wish you'd my share it with me. My favorite thing about this podcast is how people send us lunch. Yeah. Yeah, that's happened. Spoiler alert, all those things I said are not true. <laughs> that's never My favorite happened. thing about this podcast is we get to meet a bunch of people who are really active in trying to create something from just an idea. Yeah. This podcast today was a perfect example of that. Here's these were a couple of yo-yos who were out there trying to make something where there was nothing, nothing. Mm -hmm. And they did it. I mean, they did it. And now they're doing even more, Mm -hmm. right? These are, Really neat people. When, whenever we had a chance to talk to the whole group at InsureTech Connect, I mean, all what there were four or five of them sitting around. Mm-hmm. They're just mm-hmm. neat, intelligent, caring people who saw a problem and they and they worked to fix it. And I I think that's the best part: getting to meet the personalities and the people and see the Without see the question. see all these dreamers. Without I love question, that. I think the best part of the podcast is getting to share all this with our audience. Like and we thank too. you for being just that, our audience. And on behalf of Aldrin Muya, Alicia Moss, and Lee Boyd, and myself, Rob Beller, we'll say. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Bye, everybody. Goodbye, everybody. <laughs>